Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influitive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Kalman. Today, I'm joined by Teresa Anania, SVP of Global Customer Experience at Zendesk. At Zendesk, Teresa is responsible for the management and development of Zendesk's global client base, including managing 110,000 paid customers across all customer segments, from SMB to enterprise. Prior to Zendesk, Teresa spent 11 years at Autodesk, ultimately serving as Senior Director of Customer Success, where she drove both scale and tech-touch success motions across all market segments. Prior to its acquisition by Autodesk in 2009, Teresa served as Chief Operating Officer of Al Gore, Inc., and held other roles of increasing responsibility over her 15 years at the company. I've had my eye on interviewing Teresa for a long time, and it finally happened. And let me tell you, it was worth the wait. Zendesk does an incredible job of providing exceptional customer experiences, and they're only getting better. They recently realigned their customer-facing teams to better position them for success, but Teresa said it was only one small part of their overarching journey to become the gold standard in customer experience. In our chat today, Teresa shares how to get top-down buy-in for customer centricity, how Zendesk believes CX will take their company to the next level, and how you can get even non-customer-facing teams to care about the customer. Looking at you, finance. Hey, Teresa, welcome to the All About the Customer podcast. So amazing to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited. So today we're going to get really meta talking about customer experience. And the, the reason why it's so meta with you is that, you know, Zendesk as an organization provides you know, customer service software, uh, but it's it's also something that you all pride yourself in so much and, and how you think about your own customers' customer experience. And I would imagine part of it is probably just the folks that tend to gravitate towards working to Zend- at Zendesk. You know, you, you work at a company like that, you probably care about customer experience. But one thing that you and I talked about previously is it's also just something you kind of need to do. It's it's probably hard to t- be taken seriously as a, a provider of customer service software if you don't yourself take a lot of pride in your customer service. So let's start there. How does Zendesk think about customer experience? Like what's your team's or company's North Star on this? Yeah, I mean, it is so important. You're right, because not only do we care a lot about how customers, you know, experience Zendesk, we know that they look to us for that thought leadership and that way forward of how do they design great customer experiences. So if we're not like the gold standard, really pushing the envelope on what is best in class, I mean, how could they really trust our advice in this area? So we take it very seriously. And I think, you know, North Star for us is really moving along this maturity curve of going from a great company to an iconic company. And we know that, you know, connecting up not only what we believe will drive great customer experiences, but also great employee experiences, because we believe very strongly that employee experience equals customer experience. So it really starts with your people and really shifting the mindset so that even non-customer facing teams feel the pain points, feel the opportunities of where our customers most need our help. Um, We give them lots of great opportunities for listening posts and ways to express customer empathy. 
And that's really what's where it starts. And, you know, we want to get to a point, ultimately, our North Star is that every company decision, everything we do in product, in marketing, and even all of the supporting functions actually puts the customer at the center. And that's really a culture shift. So I, I want to dive into a couple of things that you said. So one of them is you talked about thinking about employee experience for, not necessarily first, but it just, it needs to be one part of it. And I think it's, it's so true and it's often very forgotten. And I, I can think of a, an experience in my personal life, not in the SaaS space, but in the grocery stores that I go to. So I, I have, I have two grocery stores. I have like a low end one where I just, you know, get boxed food. And then I have a, a higher end one where I get produce and meat and things like that. And I think about the experience in those two places and the low end one it just sucks. Like nobody helps you with anything. You ask them questions. They don't know where anything is. And then the high end one, everybody's so unbelievably friendly, but you think about the employee experience there, like the, at the low end one, they don't pay them very well. They don't treat them very well. So obviously that's going to resonate with how they think about customer experience. So that's the one side of it. And then the other thing that you talked about was getting to a point where every decision as a company thinks about the customer. Why isn't this the default of most companies? Like we all know how important customers are. Why, why by default don't we just always think about the customer? I mean, I think, you know, one great, I'll say awakening moment for our company was going from public to private, because I do think not that you have to be private to not, you know, think about the customer, but when you're public, there are just so many stakeholders and, you know, you really have to think a little bit more short term. I mean, the markets demand that. So what I believe is that if you could set a culture, you know, where, yes, you're putting the customer first, but it kind of solves all the other things, right? I mean, you're going to generate more opportunities with those customers. You're going to sell more. You're going to have them express greater ROI from your solutions if you're putting them at the center. So I just think we've a little bit lost our way. I mean, look at everything all our companies have been through, right? COVID and the pandemic with growth surges and then, you know, back to the reality of remote workplaces and having to navigate that. And then obviously the macroeconomic times we're in even right now, like there's a lot of pressures on the business. And I think it's very easy to lose your way. And so a constant reminder, you know, basically really starting at the top, really making sure that um, your e-staff, your CEO really recognize the value of customer experience and the importance of it and putting it at the center helps a lot. This is something that's come up repeatedly on the show. You know, treating our customers better is just the right thing to do. There are altruistic reasons to think we should provide better customer experience. But there's also a very real business case for it too. The companies who are more customer-centric and think more about customer experience are simply going to do a better job retaining customers. Like Teresa said, putting your customer first solves a lot of your problems. Outside of the shift of going from public to private, was there anything else that made you, that made Zendesk want to, I don't even want to say double down because I feel like customer experience is always something that you thought of. It's just, this continues to be an evolution. Like, were there any other shifts at the company that made you realize this needs to be even more of a focus than it already is? You know, I think we recognize that what got us to get to this great place of 1.8 billion and growing ARR 
is not the same set of opportunities ahead for us to get to the next 3 billion, 5 billion iconic company. So I think in developing that planning of, you know, three years, five years out, where do we want to be? It became really clear that our CX expertise, our way of showing up as not only a best in class CX provider of solutions, but also that we live it, breathe it, and show that to our very customer base just became a top priority. And as I said, it started at the top. Um, we put together, you know, as Steerco, you know, we love these tiger teams, right? Where, because it's cross-functional. I mean, there's no way that you could be customer-centric if you don't think about this across all the different organizations. So once we put together that team and we got, you know, great volunteers and people that were so passionate about this start to express ways that we could work as a company differently, it really, it created a flywheel effect. And now there's not one executive meeting where we don't bring the customer in, whether it's live, they, they join us and share with us some of their experiences or just a video of an interview that we've done with them. But we are constantly reminded that everything we're doing should be about the customer and how do we show up to achieve that or just all the great initiatives and some of the great things that we're working on right now. And when you're putting together a team like that, maybe you can talk about what you've done at Zendesk, but just in general, how people should think of this. If you're looking to drive this change and you have this dedicated team who's responsible for this, how do you think about who should make up that team? Is it just a person from every customer facing department? Like, how did you think about it? Well, we actually, we did, it's, we started out where our customer experience groups were a bit fragmented across the company. They were porting up to different e-staff members. And um, so coming together really did require at least one leader from each of those customer facing groups. And then we extended that, of course, to a product leader, you know, marketing, finance. I mean, we left no team out. And, you know, we just really created a little bit of, um, you know, let's ideate, let's think about the ways that we want to show up, let's think about wh where we are today, you know, against a framework of great customer centricity. And what we found is we have a long way to go. We still have a lot of great things we could be doing that we just weren't intentionally thinking about. And I really believe that, again, that intention of like a top-down view of how are we going to even segment our customers so that the experience they have is actually consistent. Even though maybe not everyone reports up through the same organization, how do we create that cohesive experience? And then more recently, I think one of the greatest outcomes of this initiative was that we recognized pretty early on that bringing together at least the customer experience organizations under one leader, I, I have gotten that honor. It's been really, really awesome that we can do so much more and faster by being all part of an organization that can design out experiences end to end and really think about all that synergy. So I think you could do it with, you know, without an organizational change. Um, it just makes it go a little faster. So maybe this is too low of a question. Maybe this could be a completely separate podcast episode, but I'm going to ask it anyways. So when, when you 
when you took over this role and you know it, it wasn't like you were some outsider coming in you, you've been with Zendesk for a while you were already in a, a similar role how did you then try to figure out what those different customer experiences look like to try to get them on the same page like how are you mapping those customer journeys I don't, I don't know what tools you're using I don't know what processes or mental models you had but can you talk about how you tried to figure that out Right. Well, I I love the reference to customer journey because I think it is all about identifying, you know, what is our existing customer journey today? And I don't think you have to go like really crazy and boil the ocean. I think the key moments of truth are really essential. If you think about their buyer journey, which is where it all starts, you can have some critical moments of truth there. Um, obviously capturing at that time the reasons that they even are considering or decide to purchase your solution. And then I think just looking at the entire onboarding journey, the way customers come in for support, so kind of like a inbound um, touch of you know our, our customer support organization, all the way through to that life cycle of are they receiving that full value? So what I did is really just got the key leaders together. I mean, one thing in parallel I'm still doing is listening and learning. So just working, you know, across all of our global um, hub offices and even just working remotely with lots of our individual contributors hearing what is it they do all day, shadowing them, listening and learning to the great things they want to provide customers. And maybe they felt like there have been some blocks in their way. So in parallel to, you know, designing out like what is the current state? What do we think the ideal state should be? It's also that listening and learning and really learning from folks in the trenches. What is a great customer moment of truth? And then where do they feel? And they know it doesn't feel great. There's either internal friction that needs resolved because it's slowing down our customer responsiveness or, you know, they don't feel empowered with all the right, you know, tools and skills to address all the customer's needs. So those two big things are the work we're doing right now. And I mean, there's great tools out there. Like I'm big on process people tech. I think technology, I mean, Zendesk on Zendesk, we leverage our own uh, best practice service technology. Certainly we've used tools like Gainsight in automating the motions out of success. But to me, that's all about kind of the way that you want to think about how you're going to operationalize the great customer experience. For really journey mapping, we're just going like old school and just using the typical tools for that. We haven't gotten too fancy there. And I love this idea about empowering your people because I think as a leader, you want to try to have a pulse on everything, but you're just not going to be able to, right? You're you're not going to be able to replicate the experiences of the people who are, are boots on the ground. So going to them and saying like, what do you wish you could do, but you don't feel empowered to do right now, I think is really interesting. Did did people jump at that chance? Was there some kind of hesitation from it around like, ah, is this going to, am I airing dirty laundry? Was there any feeling of that? No. I mean, one, because it wasn't just an informal, unstructured discussion. Some of it was, but we also did just a pretty basic, but very like formal time study. So we didn't, um, you know, go again into depth about every minute of every day, but we looked at the big rocks that each customer facing team could share were actually like making up their typical day, their typical week, their typical month. And what we found, and this just became the gift they kept on giving, is, you know, at least 25% of their time was going into non-value added things. 
And that's when you can really get to the crux of like, what is holding us up in getting more customer engagement, but not just more, more valuable, more high quality engagement. And don't forget that contributes back to employee engagement because they now, we've been able to reduce about 17% of that 25%. So now they just have a small amount and we all will administrative things that maybe, you know, need still refinement, but it's always going to be some of it. But they've been able to put 17% of their time in a week back to the customers. And they really, that's what they signed up for. That's what they want to do. So I feel like if you can leverage qualitative as well as quantitative data, it makes it more like folks just really wanted to weigh in and give us their insights because they want their jobs to be better. They want to feel like they are able to produce, you know, higher value outcomes when they're working with customers. And, and this was like a, an initiative that we're still working on today. And going from that 25% to 17%, how were you able to do that? How much of it was just shifting who's responsible for what versus automation versus just cutting processes that don't need to exist? Yeah. I mean, it was funny because, you know, Zendesk customer number one, I mean, we're using Zendesk and yet all of these great best practices and process innovation work we do is always for our customers. And so we decided to put Zendesk customer number one really just subjected to the same kinds of great services we provide our customers. So we just look deep at, you know, what is causing the friction? Where are the automation opportunities? Where are the digitization opportunities? And with our technology coupled with, you know, great process, we've been able to, you know, really significantly reduce the amount of time that not only our people spend in handoffs and, you know, trying to sort through like various dashboards, I call it swivel chair, instead of a single pane of glass, everything right in front of them, but it's also contributing great progress on the customer experience. I mean, what customer wants to have high effort on something of a, you know, repeatable task? They want to be able to do it. I mean, we're all experiencing this in our relationship with subscriptions we have in our personal lives. We don't want to have to always talk to a human. So really segmenting those critical opportunities that you can automate. Um, and with our technology, we've been able to, you know, leverage AI. And it's really been, again, improving our agent, our customer facing team experience, but then also, and most importantly, improving our customer experience. So really um, a great way to get started figuring out where the opportunities are is to kind of do a basic time study. And, and when you were talking to these folks and just said like, hey, what, what do you wish you could do? I'm sure some of it was, you know, big, grand things that would take a long time and take a lot of money. But were you surprised at the amount of stuff that was really low hanging fruit that was like, why, why haven't we been doing this? And this, that's really easy exactly. to change. Exactly. And especially just as a new leader, I mean, we've had great leadership. We've had, you know, even um, in our prior organizational structure, but I found just when you start you know, looking at, okay, we've been doing again, what we needed to do to get to the level we're at. It's not like there was any problem with that, but now we're ready for scale. And you bring up like that generic grocery store, you know, I contend even when you have, we have 110,000 customers. So 
even when you have like a, you know, a democratized situation or experience where you want to have like low effort, low human engagement because you have to scale, you can create great digital experiences as well. So it's amazing um, how personalized you can be so that that customer feels unique, feels like you know them, feels like they're getting the white glove treatment like you get at that more specialty store, but for the masses. And so, yeah, I think low-hanging fruit was a bit of a shocker, but it feels good because then you get those quick wins. Employees see that, okay, they invested time in you know interviewing and being part of this listening and learning and doing the time study. And now we're like communicating regularly and I highly recommend that. We heard you, here are the great improvements we're making so that they, it's a flywheel effect. They start getting more and more excited, sharing more opportunities, feeling more empowered. It's even solved, believe it or not, a culture shift that I wanted to make and I thought it would have to be separate. It, it's kind of coming along for the ride in this work we're doing because folks feel more empowered. So they're even bringing to leadership across the board, even areas of escalation in the white glove treatment, you know, which we're not really needing to rethink as much because when you're putting, you know, humans on a great large account, it works pretty well. But no, they're even bringing up escalations and opportunities to kind of improve all across the board. So I find it to be super beneficial in driving to that customer first focus. Teresa's talking about something very important here empowerment. For everyone to start being more customer-centric, we all need to better understand our customers and be empowered to make a difference. Once she asks people how Zendesk can improve customer experience if there wasn't something holding them back, more people started coming to her with ideas. Nothing's more disheartening than feeling like your suggestions are going into a black hole. But if we listen to our employees and their ideas for customer centricity, and even better, give them some room to make customer-centric decisions on their own without needing to go for approval first, you'll start to see more innovation around this idea. One thing you've mentioned when we spoke previously is resetting the company culture to get everybody thinking about the customer. And this is obviously incredibly important in customer-facing teams that we would all think of, but you believe that this really needs to be everybody. This needs to be HR. This needs to be finance. So can you talk about how you think about this in general and then how th this culture reset, this mind mindset uh, reset, and then how you make sure that that permeates everybody, including those non-customer facing teams? Right. Well, I mean, retaining customers and also driving, you know, a very loyal customer base that will recommend you, et cetera, is everyone's job. There is not one team, certainly not just CX that can make that happen. So whether it's by, you know, having executive sponsors um, be assigned to top accounts across the company so that leaders in product, leaders in finance are experiencing a peer-to-peer -peer connection within our customer base, which has a win-win because not only does the customer feel like, wow, this company really cares about me, but our leaders learn more about what our customers are going through. And it's just a great opportunity. But yes, I believe 
those connection points when you're delivering a great customer experience are essential. I mean, think about a tech company that is putting out new releases every quarter like we are. The connection to the product organization, not only to hear what's coming and be able to see the transparency of that roadmap, but also have input to that process. Our customers expect it. So I don't think there's one role in our company where they don't feel that connection. It is intentional that we share, you know, regularly. What is their role? All of those leaders taking our top strategic goals of, let's say, retention, NRR, net retention rate, and actually sharing what does finance, what is their role in playing a part in that? And how are the handoffs of when our customers need us so imperative that Everyone around the company has to have that sense of urgency, have to, has to have that sense of ownership. It really takes intention, but I think everyone, again, feels a lot better about what they're here for. Because if we're not driving revenue, and then obviously a big part of that is retention and growth in our customer base, they probably can't attribute their work to any critical business goal. And so we open the gates on that. We unlock the opportunity for them to see their part in it. And it has had mass interest. Like there's no one that feels like in the company, they don't know their part in our customer experience. And I think that's essential. And, and so what is folks like HR and finance's role in this? Like how, what, what did you articulate to them? Or even if you don't want to get into specifics, like how, how would one articulate that? Well, I mean, first of all, it's funny because HR leverages our CX methodology of segmenting and having different experiences for customers for employees. So they love the playbooks, the methodology, and that kind of created a great partnership. And obviously with HR, there are all sorts of ways that our employees who are customer facing or not need to leverage their skills and need fast answers so that again, they are freed up to spend more time with the customer. So again, it's kind of interesting, but we have Zendesk on Zendesk across the company. And one of the first things I realized for those internal use cases in HR is, wow, as an employee, getting answers to all of my everyday questions, you know, in HR, in legal, in procurement, it is just so efficient and effective. I have a ticket, I have a case management, they have SLAs. It frees me up then to be able to do the great work for our customers. So that's part of it. I think with finance, we get them involved in deals. You know, we structure different arrangements for customers that have, you know, certain needs. Um, we have different licensing models, different ways to unlock the full value in our Zendesk platform and all of the other capabilities we provide. And finance gets involved. So we let them be a part. We help them understand the customer pain points. Um, obviously, they, they help us inspect our business and look at where are the opportunities that we are, you know, not retaining and or, you know, potential churn or contraction reasons that might help inform our strategies in CX. So those are just some practical examples. I love that. And so we talked about the reorg that happened and how everybody is, is kind of rolling up to you. Can you talk about what that alignment looks like and how you thought about how to structure this? Like, I think it'd be really telling for other organizations of similar size, like how you thought about 
you know, who's the type of person it needs to report into? What are the teams that should be coming together? And then I guess just like org wise, what that looks like now. Yeah. I mean, I do love, and I think it's a best practice to put all of the critical customer experience kind of post-purchase as we refer to it, organizations under one umbrella. I think that it really, you know, allows the customer voice to be um, prioritized in the company because think of all those different teams and I'll, I'll share a little bit about the org, orgs that we put together, but all those different teams are collecting great customer insights. I mean, imagine the power of having more of a single voice coming out of that CX organization that really powers like a lot of our product development roadmap, a lot about the ways that we're going to frame our pricing and packaging and all sorts of processes in the company. So that's one great reason. There's also great synergies. So, you know, think of the organizations that that we thought about, um, customer support, obviously, uh, professional services, customer success, we also, you know, have a lot of the um, the renewals organization peeled off the sales organization. We have different profiles. We have also, you know, ring fenced a team that is one hundred percent specialized on renewal negotiations and also commercial relationships with procurement, etc. I love that under the CX umbrella. That isn't always the case. A lot of times, it's in partnership with sales. We are partnering with sales, but we own that renewal. And so it really allows for the monetization of all that great work that was done upstream, assuring the customer unlock the full ROI, and then how do we monetize that at the end? And all of those handoffs, you know, insights about what the customer experience, you know, was, what value we can articulate, we unlocked informs the renewal and makes that like a non-event, but then think about the renewal outcome and making sure all that feeds right back into how do we take the next you know journey with this customer? How do we reboot the relationship? Maybe um, start with fresh business goals that they're sharing because they're constantly changing. Maybe they've decided to um, renew with you know additional capabilities that they purchased. How do we start to onboard them? So it's a very it's a continuum, and I love putting those groups together. The other thing we put together would be like all the voice of customer, you know, all the shared services, programmatic, like think of, you know, executive briefing center, all the executive connects programs, the things that help glue, uh, especially our top customers across the account team to create that true orchestration. Um, also, the digital experience is under my umbrella. So think about the way that in product and or with email campaigns or help center community that you might want to engage with your customers digitally, creating a, you know, a self-serve experience. So that's really everything we've brought together. And it's been very clear the synergies are real. You know, think about even the digital experience. Each team was designing their own. So in the support group, they were creating ticket deflection strategies so that, you know, customers that were coming inbound and needing a human being to do repeatable tasks could be automated. But that wasn't really factored into an intentional digital journey because another team was creating the proactive 
how best to onboard? What are some of the calls to action to achieve the fastest time to value? And all of that could be really part and parcel of the digital experience that is causing customers to need a support person, right? Because if you back it all the way up, why isn't it solved in the product? Why are we even having the customer need to come to support? So designing that out intentionally across the teams and then identifying like all these great synergies of how we are way more personalized, way more contextualized, um, single source of truth right in front of each customer facing person, like all of those opportunities are the ones we we hit first and and they're real and already demonstrating that you know being together as part of one team having one rally cry one goal which is retention is really um, going to make a lot of this more streamlined and in in this instance you know you were the person who should be leading this team uh, but i'm curious to know at other organizations, if they're bringing together similar teams like this, how do they think about who should be that person who is leading these teams? I mean, I like to believe that the profile that best fits is one that is a balance between a couple things. First of all, well, putting a customer at the center, having lots of experience doing customer-facing work is key. Um, but I think balancing customer empathy and being the voice of the customer and actually being the evangelist for the company, oftentimes escalations, things either going great or things that are not going great come to me. I think that's key, but also a commercial mindset. So I grew up in sales. I'm not saying this person has to have sales experience, but I think a commercial mindset really helps that business acumen, knowing the outcomes matter so that we can not only design our playbooks and our methodology to achieve those outcomes, but then have the mindset that in showing metrics of success, we're not just showing the end result, the lagging indicator, we're able to design a methodology of attribution. So these groups are attributing to that outcome, which really just helps build the whole business case of the value of CX and each of the roles. I think also, you know, a person that can balance strategy and execution, because I do believe that especially if you're going to operate like an organization with a long tail, with many small customers, not just a very VIP enterprise experience, you really have to be able to be pragmatic. You know, you have to test things before really taking them to the full, you know, North Star ideal state, because it is in that testing and iterative process that you're going to refine like what great looks like. So being able to scale pragmatic, I feel um, having those skills of sales as well as customer facing roles and then having, you know, some product experience, recognizing the technical nature of this role is indisputable because whatever your, you know, positioning, that person has to be passionate about, has to be able to speak to and even be, you know, on main stage at various industry events to evangelize the company's solution. So those are just some of the profile attributes I think most companies look for. I got to say, it sounds like this person needs to be a unicorn. 
It's a little bit of a unicorn, but even, even in smaller companies, like take one of your best customer facing people and give them an opportunity to lead it. Um, it's, it's that way that, that folks mature to that maybe ideal state that I described. So last question I have before we get into our wrap up stuff, you know, this is a, a big initiative. This isn't something you just whip together. This isn't just something that happens overnight. And it's something that I would imagine really requires top-down buy-in on this. Like you really need that C-suite executive level buy-in to do something like this. How would you recommend people think about pitching this and selling this up? Well, I think it starts with the business goals that it's going to achieve, right? I mean, our company, of course, any SaaS company, but you can look across even non-technical companies. There are business goals that the E-suite are completely focused on. And those goals have to then be the final outcome of positioning the customer experience as germane to achieving those goals. And I feel like, you know, a great way that I started building that case before some of our new leadership who frankly just they came out of this space and so it was easier they knew how important customer experience was but in prior lives and experiences that wasn't always the case and so I would go to the e-suite and be able to share modeling that would attribute the roles of customer success and the customer outcomes to those business goals. And by doing like more in this area, investing, putting customers at the center, recognizing it's not just a success job or a renewals job or CX, but rather everyone's job, I think just takes focusing first on the numbers and then backing into what are the leading indicators that are going to get you to that ultimate outcome and making a business case about that. And then from there, you know, continuing to prove it out. You know, if there are uh, particular reasons why customers leave and you can surface that, and then you can share that those initiatives or the commitment of the organization to solve that, because again, it may require product, marketing, et cetera, have resulted in less churn in those particular reasons. That's the kind of causation and correlation that really continues to prove the theory that putting the customer at the center and employee experience that drives that great experience. I think that's the story that most resonates in the E-suite. Is there anything we haven't talked about around customer experience, whether what you're doing at Zendesk or in general that you think would be good for the listeners to know? You know, I feel like um, some view data as essential or, or, you know, even a block in doing great customer experience. And I have always been the one to say, start with what you have. Like data should not, data is empowering. It can be absolutely a secret sauce to your customer experience, but don't let it hold you back from still leveraging the data you have to create a personalized and contextualized customer experience. So I think that's one area that many say, like, where do I get started? And our data sucks. I mean, frankly, I was at my prior life and we were an on-prem company and talk about like a data transformation. We were four years in and still trying to make sense of kind of the old legacy data with the new subscription data 
Then I joined, you know, Zendesk and that's born in the cloud. And you just assume like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a data playground. And you have your, you have restrictions there too, which is we grew so fast. Our data is not always, you know, with good um, hygiene and with good thought behind capturing and maintaining it. So the point is assess what you have. And whether it's to help you create an early warning system, you know, that helps you identify when customers are in trouble, um, or whether it's just surfacing insights so your agents or your customer success representatives or professional service team have contextual information when they're interacting with the customer, like start with the basics. And I promise you, you're going to find that it's going to improve the customer experience incrementally. Amazing. So the wrap-up question I asked everybody, for the folks listening at home, if they could take one step to move in the direction of being more customer-centric, what would you recommend for people? Well, I would say for customer-facing teams, own the experience and don't think that just because you're handing off a particular issue because your customer's needs are not the thing you do. Like, let's say a salesperson and the customer needs a billing change, like, own it. And that means make sure if you're handing it off that you're able to still circle back with that customer and make sure they feel like you heard them, you resolve their matter. So I would just say that's just something quick. Whatever you have in your queue today, in your email inbox where customers need you, be responsive, show empathy, show that you know them, and that's going to differentiate you and your company. And then I would say for all the supporting functions, reach out to a customer-facing person, make a network connection, a one-on-one, ad hoc, get time on their calendar, spend time picking their brain. What do customers care about? What are their pain points? How are you as a customer-facing person experiencing um, our solution at the company that you're with? So that you can start to feel like you're building in your professional development journey a way to get closer to the customers. I love both those things. I asked you for one, you gave me two amazing ones. So people here, people here are getting a bargain. They're getting twice as many as they came in thinking they were going to get. But T- Teresa, this has been amazing. I-, I think it's it's so cool to see what you're doing at Zendesk. And I-, I think this, like I mentioned, this has always been something that your team has has focused on, but I think you're really leveling it up now. And I know this is a big uh, initiative that's going to take you know a while to, to fully come to fruition, but I think the journey along there, things are only going to get better and better for your customers. You're going to keep setting that gold standard. So thanks so much for being on the show. I learned a ton and I know that the listeners at home did as well. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. It's interesting to hear success stories like this one at Zendesk because it's not that there was anything particularly wrong with their approach in the first place. They just had a realization that what got us here won't get us there. Obviously, there are going to be a lot of moving parts to get them to this upper echelon of companies, but it's amazing that they believe customer experience plays a vital part. Bringing all these different customer-facing teams together, including those renewal teams, makes a lot of sense. It's natural for these different teams to get siloed, even though they all directly serve the customers. When those teams are separate, work will get needlessly duplicated, the teams will move in their own direction, and the customer experience will get disjointed. But under a common umbrella and with this North Star guiding them, it'll be fun to watch and learn what happens next. This has been the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influitive. I've been your host, Dan Kalmar. Until next time, Go get those finance folks excited about the customer.
let them know they got a role to play too.